Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may, re- they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let us begin by spending a few moments in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it can instruct us, that the words that your prophets spoke, even in times of old, are relevant, living and active now. For your people today. Father, we need your spirit to give us ears to hear and eyes to see that your word might have its full work in our hearts and in our lives, that we might be able to respond to it in faith. Please give us this grace today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new sermon series today, as you may have noticed, uh, Malachi chapter 1 almost out of repetition at this point, it was hard for me not to say our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of John. Uh, But we are now moving from the Gospel of John to the book of Malachi. One of the reasons we want to go to a book like this is that it's in the Old Testament and that we believe and want to practice that all of God's word is instructive for us. We're not red letter only Christians. We're not New Testament only Christians, but all of God's word is relevant for all of God's people through all of time. Of course, as we look back to books that were written before Christ came, we always want to read them and understand them in light of what Jesus has done. So as we go through Malachi, it's a shorter book. We'll be in it for about eight weeks. Uh, Hopefully, we can understand how this was important and necessary for the people at the time, but also how it is important for us and points us ultimately to Christ. So, you may not be totally familiar with the book of Malachi. In fact, uh, I remember hearing one person say, I thought it was called Malachi for the longest time until my pastor did a Bible study on it once. So maybe you thought it was the book of Malachi, I don't know. And even Malachi is an English, Englishified uh, word of a Hebrew word. In fact, as we look at this book, we're introduced to the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And we don't know really anything about Malachi uh, besides about the time in which he wrote. In fact, his name, this name Malachi, it really just means my messenger. So there are some that even think that the word Malachi isn't a particular person but really just an anonymous messenger. There's not a lot known about his background. Generally, you might see he's the son of somebody. And so we don't know a lot about him. 
But we do know a lot about what's going on at the time in which he is speaking. Malachi, I do believe, is a person, so I'll refer to him as a person, uh, was ministering around the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah. And I know a lot of us maybe have heard these things, you know, maybe even have friends whose kids are named Ezra and Nehemiah. But they're hard to put on pegs in the Old Testament history. So many things happen in the Old Testament, it's hard sometimes for us to understand where we're at in the story. So I want to spend a few moments explaining where we're at when Malachi shows up and gives these words to the people of Israel. So Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, these other prophets are ministering around the same time. This is 450, 460 B.C., so a few hundred years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's after the people of Israel have come back from the Babylonian captivity. In fact, it's the lower kingdom, the people of Judah have come back from Babylonian captivity, and they've rebuilt the temple. Now, as people were put out into exile, because God was disciplining them and judging them for their corrupt worship and immoral lives, they came and they were expecting the ushering in of a golden age, that they would rebuild the temple and it would be this splendorous ushering in of this time when the Lord would dwell with his people. In fact, a lot of the New Testament looking ahead uh, the New Covenant looking ahead throughout the Old Testament prophets, people thought that was going to happen as they rebuilt the temple. This was going to be a renewed golden age for the people of God. So they came back from exile in about 540 B.C., so about 100 years before uh, the Malachi is speaking here. And they, they rebuilt the temple, took about 50 years and so now a generation has gone by of people living in this state of restoration, disappointment, and ultimately what we see is an unfaithfulness of the people of God. It's not that they have just come back in the temple and, and don't remember what's going on and they're trying to figure it out. It's that they have been returned to the land, returned to the temple, and they have restored worship. But everything about their life now has fallen back into the unfaithful patterns of all of their forefathers. There are seven complaints in the book of Malachi. They're going to cover a broad range of evil things that are happening uh, the people are cold in their hearts. Their priests are corrupt. They have intermarried and given a blind eye to divorce. They are acting wickedly. They've perverted worship and they've become stingy. All in the span of 50 years after seeing the Lord restore them back to their land and see the temple restored here just 50 years later. They're the same old people of God, continually rebelling and turning away from him. And as Malachi comes to the people, we're told an oracle of the word of the Lord. Even that word oracle, it carries this, ugh, this more weighty term. It's actually burden. The burden of the word of the Lord. A burden being something that is powerful, that has significance, that has weight behind it. 
It's also something that Malachi must speak. And he must speak it to people who are not going to want to hear it. This is the ministry of most prophets. They go to a rebellious people and they proclaim the burden of God's word to them. And they don't like what they hear. They don't want to hear from Malachi. They don't want to hear from Ezra and Nehemiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or any other of these troublemakers who come and tell them all that they have done wrong. So Malachi brings this burden. He must proclaim it to the people. They have so quickly turned, and now Malachi has come to confront them. And in these seven complaints, we see a declaration and a question, a denial from the people against what the Lord's saying to them through his prophet. And the first word, the first word of this burden ought to shape our whole understanding of the ministry of the prophets generally, but the prophet Malachi in particular. What is the first word? Verse 2 tells us, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. Oftentimes, the prophets' mouths are filled with judgment, with warnings. But when they come with those warnings, it is not merely judgment, but it's a call to turn. It's a call that the Lord loves them and that they ought to turn back to him. That he doesn't want them to continue in this path of rebellion, but instead to repent, to trust in him, to love him in return. To see all the goodness that the Lord has done. He's calling back his rebellious people, his unfaithful bride, back into this loving relationship with their Lord. It is always the aim of the prophets. It is the aim of Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But what do the people say? How have you loved us? not merely that the people want some sort of specific examples about how the Lord has loved them. Perhaps that's maybe what they're asking for, but you have to understand there's a defiant, sarcastic tone to that type of response. I have loved you, declares the Lord. How have you loved us? Here we've returned from exile and now we're just back And this not that great temple, things aren't going great. My life is not perfect. How have you loved us, Lord? The people here have a skewed view of God's love for them. They are full of doubt and they are jaded by the statement that the Lord loves them. They think they got it figured out. They don't acknowledge the Lord's steadfast love towards his people. Of course, the Lord could respond in many different ways. He could point to the miraculous love of taking them out of exile and bringing them back into the land and giving them the freedom to build this temple. The fact that he has not judged them like he has judged other nations but instead has restored them. He could point to all sorts of things that he has given to them, 
provided for them, no doubt, every day. But what does the Lord go to to defend his love? It's not where we would typically tend to go. In fact, I was uh, reading one commentator and they talked about this specific topic as being one that we often are kind of hands off with because it can be a bit troubling or confusing or hard to grasp. And in fact, if uh, we are going to talk about election, about God choosing people, well, that might be for people who have a better grasp of where things are at, fully understand a little bit more of you know, the gospel and where God's at, and they're mature Christians, and we're going to get into the deeper things. But what we see here is that Malachi is speaking to very immature people, people who are hard-hearted, who are jaded, who are no doubt anything but mature. But that is where Malachi brings us. That is what the Lord is going to use to remind his people of how he has loved them in his sovereign election of the people of God over and above others. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. the same verse, the same imagery, it's the same words that Paul uses in Romans chapter 9 to explain this great mystery that God chooses some and not others. What is the significance that Esau is Jacob's brother? Why does he begin by saying, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Now, of course, the people of God are now thinking, okay, we're descendants of Jacob. And Jacob is in the line of the promise. But the point that the Lord is making here through his prophet is that Esau is Jacob's brother. In fact, Esau is the older brother and his twin brother. And anything about Esau and Jacob that you want to come down and say, these two, you know, Esau didn't deserve to be chosen or Jacob deserved to be chosen. The point that's being made here is exactly the opposite. The Lord did not choose to bless Esau. He passed over him. just as he could have passed over Jacob and anybody else. The presumption that God would have chosen anybody is the real error here. And the great love that has been shown to God's people is that he did not pass over Jacob like he passed over Esau. Instead, he loved Jacob. And he made promises to Jacob. Those promises remain true Throughout the generations, God has showed his faithfulness to those promises in bringing these people back. He goes on to talk about what happened to Esau. He's laid waste his hill country, left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Edom, these are the descendants of Esau, says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. 
The Lord of hosts says, They may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Edom was one of these enemies of the people of God, and they'd been crushed. The Lord had crushed them, and he had restored Israel, Jacob. Not in this merely temporal sense, but historically to the actual person, Jacob. And here he says, into the future forever. God has passed over Esau, but he has loved Jacob How have you loved us? Look at Edom. The people whom the Lord does not love. The people whom he has passed over. Even your very own brother. Your older brother. Your twin brother. Equal, in fact, probably greater than you in every other way. Look what has come of them compared to you. This doctrine of election, this doctrine of God choosing a people for his treasured possession is throughout the Old Testament and into the new as God calls his people his bride, his children. He brings them in like his flock. He chooses them out from the nations to make him his own chosen nation with the people he will dwell in their midst. It's picked up by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. In love he predestined us. The questions that the people ask of Malachi, of the Lord, these seven complaints that we will go through as we continue in the book of Malachi are ones that probably resonate in our own hearts and lives. We are like them in some ways. We all have the same human condition of sin. We all hear things like God loves us, but we have a disconnect in our hearts and in our minds because we look at our circumstances and perhaps we don't see the evidence. We too, like them, don't have perfect lives. We feel like we've gone into some circumstances that we don't deserve. We base our understanding of God's love on a temporal scale our momentary circumstances, and we complain, how has the Lord loved us? I don't feel loved. I don't see his love. The prophet, through the word of the Lord, calls us to look and to remember something far greater than our temporal moment. The free unconditional, gracious, electing love of God to his people. He could have freely overlooked us. There was nothing we could have done to merit his choosing. There was nothing that makes us greater than our brother, Esau. 
the person who's outside, perhaps somebody in our own lives who grew up in the same house or the same neighborhood or works at the same place as us. People who are probably better than you or me. God calls us to be reminded of his love before all of this ever took place. And the only place we will find true comfort in God's love is being reminded of these truths of his predestinating love towards his people. He decided to love Jacob at all. As Paul tells us, in love that he decided to predestine us, that in love he even created the world, and that he would show mercy and grace and forgiveness to rebellious people like Malachi is talking to now. Remember, the heart of Malachi is to remind them of God's love. How have you loved us? Do not you remember, O people of God, how you have come to this place, how privileged you are among all the nations, that the Lord dwells in your midst, that he sends prophets to come and to discipline you and remind you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, quotes Psalm 94, and it says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In a moment of discipline, it is unpleasant. We might doubt the one who is disciplining us, whether we are a child being disciplined by a parent, perhaps even an employee getting a letter in our file. It might cause us to question our momentary affliction, our uncomfortable moment. But the Lord loves his people and the uncomfortable moments we feel, the discontentment, the unrealized golden age of the people of Israel coming back to the temple. The Lord is teaching them and correcting them and disciplining them and sending his prophets to them to remind them time and time again that he has not given up. He may be angry with them, but he loves them and he wants them to turn and to come back. We can be like the Israelites, unsure of God's love for us, snarky in our response when we read things. Nothing is worse than when you're having a bad day and you're questioning things and then you see like super positive, you know, memes or something on Facebook. You're like, ah, it just doesn't hit me white right. I don't feel like doing that. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to cry out to the Lord. The word, the burden of God's word to his people then and now is that he loves you. Unlike anybody else. We prayed earlier for the common grace of God's love to all people. 
Everybody in God's creation experiences some amount of his grace. We all get to breathe this air and eat delicious food and enjoy the love and company of family and friends. We all also partake in the sinfulness of this world and the pain in which we all live. God loves his people differently, unconditionally, not based on your merit, but on his love. He has chosen to act differently toward you. We can fall into another ditch, unlike the Israelites. We can be perfectly happy with our current circumstance. Think that God's love is tied to our success, our prosperity. It's the same problem. It's just the other side of it. If we are generally successful, comfortable people, we can also be deaf to the words of the prophet. The call here is for the people of Israel to look back. To look back to their father, Jacob, who lived 2,000 years before they were ever born. Who are only loosely connected to through some murky genealogy of intermarriage and being exiled and put into captivity into foreign nations. And all of this turmoil and discipline and judgment on God's people. And yet God again and again and again calls his people back. And he tells them to remember. Remember that I love Jacob. That I love you. It's the same thing we are called to do as God's people. We can't see God's love in every moment of every circumstance. We see these passages like God works all things together for the good of those who are called to his name. Right? Like We don't see that. How is this working together for my good? I don't see it. But God tells us by his word to look back and to see his action, to see his love. And they look back to this man, Jacob, who lived 2,000 years before. Well, we have a far greater man to look back to that encapsulates for us the love of God towards his people. When we look back to Christ dying on the cross, we see not only that God loved us and created us and shows us his favor, but that even before all eternity, he decided that he would send his son to die on a cross that we could be forgiven. If we want to know whether or not God loves us, if we want to know whether or not our security is sure, The word calls us to look back. Look back to Jacob. Look back to Jesus. And be reminded that the Lord loves you. Even when it doesn't feel like it. This is what he calls us to each day. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. We are loved people who have to endure our circumstances that are often uncomfortable. But we can do so because we know we belong to a God who loves us so greatly. It's not conditional on our actions 
There are circumstances. It is fully bought in the death of his son. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you show your love to us, that you loved us even before we were made, and that before we ever breathed a breath, you had a plan for us to be saved through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for not passing over all of the wicked people in the world. Thank you for looking at us in our wickedness and instead of judging us, showing us grace and mercy and love. Lord, help us in our doubts. Help us in our cynicism. Help us in our moments where we don't feel loved to be reminded of the promises that were fulfilled for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.